Hello, Beat Check listeners. I'm Gosha Rozhniatska, and I'm the environmental justice reporter at The Oregonian. Today, I'm with Stephanie Cruz and Will Mulhern. Both of them work at the Oregon Department of Energy. Stephanie is a facilities engineer who focuses on energy efficiency and conservation in buildings. And Will is a program analyst uh, who's working on energy efficiency policy and its intersection with Oregon's clean energy goals. And today we're going to be talking about the much-anticipated home electrification and energy efficiency rebates and tax credits. As you might have heard, Oregon is poised to receive more than $100 million for the rebates. That's direct financial help for Oregonians to install a new heat pump, switch to an electric stove, or improve a home's insulation. And so we're going to be talking about what these rebates and tax credits are, who can qualify for them, and how many people in our state will actually benefit. And we're going to try to give you specific pointers and examples of how your family can use these programs. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Stephanie and Will. Thanks for taking the time to share your expertise with us. For starters, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of the rebates, let's talk about the big picture. Um, How do these rebates, tax credits and other incentives focus on energy efficiency dovetail with Oregon's climate goals. What is uh, the uh, big picture? What goals are these uh, credits and rebates trying to fulfill? Will, do you want to start? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And thanks for having us on, Kosha. We're excited to chat about these programs and appreciate the interest um, from folks across the state about about these exciting new programs. Um, So I think a big picture to keep in mind is that energy efficiency is really at the heart of the clean energy transition, and it's essential to meeting the clean energy and emissions reductions goals we have as a state. And so these programs are going to be really helpful in advancing residential energy efficiency in Oregon by helping folks to reduce energy use through the adoption of more efficient technologies. Things like heat pumps, heat pump water heaters, home weatherization, and the types of wiring and panel upgrades that are necessary to serve these technologies. And they're also going to help save folks money, which I think is really important, and particularly low-income households. When done correctly, these technologies can really deliver tangible bill savings to households. And so we're really excited about that opportunity and um, really want to make sure that we're delivering those benefits to Oregonians. Um, So just kind of overall, these rebates and energy efficiency in general really sit at a really nice intersection of household savings and greenhouse gas emissions reductions and provide a really great opportunity for our state. And I'll just add one more thing um, as far as the other goals that that we're serving with these. Oregon also adopted a goal of installing 500,000 heat pumps by 2030 in the most previous legislative session. Um, And obviously heat pumps being a qualified technology for both these rebate programs going to go um, a ways in helping us work toward that goal. So we're also very excited about that. Got it. Got it. And obviously, we're helping the climate as well by adopting all these new technologies. Absolutely. So um, there are two types of rebates uh, that are going to be available to Oregon households in the summer of 2024. Can you please describe these two types of rebates and tell us who's going to be eligible and how much people can receive and maybe give a few specific examples of how a family can qualify for them? Yeah, I can talk about the HOMES program. So the HOMES program is a performance-based energy efficiency rebate program where the participants' um, energy savings will need to be demonstrated uh, as part of their eligibility requirements for the program. Um, And that can come before the project is complete by doing an energy model Um, having either the contractor or um, an auditor come and do an energy model for the home, um, evaluate what options there are for energy savings in terms of projects, 
um, and then calculate an estimation of the savings from those. And depending on how much savings you can achieve, um, there's a lower tier at a minimum of 15% and a higher tier at 35% energy savings, um, you'd be eligible for a rebate under that program. Um, the rebates start at $2,000 and increase up to $8,000, depending on if you're achieving the highest energy savings or if you qualify as a low-income participant. If a multifamily building has more than 50% of the households living in it um, that meet the income requirements um, to be low-income, which is lower than 80% of the area median income, as defined by um, the federal um, HUD department, uh, then they would be eligible to receive rebates um, on the same values per unit in the building to do energy efficiency upgrades. And this program, you um, may notice when, when Will talks about um, the other program, this one has lower rebate caps um, kind of across the board. Um, so it's really designed to be a whole home-based um, project. So a project that achieves the highest energy savings possible, but um, coordinates with other efficiency programs to help cover more of the costs for low-income families. So um, ideally, this program would work in combination with the local utility program and any other available programs um, and kind of braid those funds together to deliver the energy savings to the lowest-income families. Got it. So people could combine uh, potentially other incentives uh alongside this one. Yeah, and I'm happy to cover the second program, which is the Home Electrification and Appliance Rebate Program. You'll hear it abbreviated as the HERE program. Um, this is a more straightforward rebate program where you're going to receive a point of sale rebate for the purchase of a qualified electric appliance. So this is very similar with what people probably think about when they think about what a rebate program looks like. And this includes heat pumps for space heating and cooling, heat pump water heaters, electric stoves, panel upgrades, insulation and air sealing and ventilation, and electric wiring. So lots of the things that we've mentioned already. A really key distinction on this program is that it's income qualified. So this is only available to households at or below 150% of the area median income. And that area median income, you'll hear it abbreviated AMI, uh, that's based on the county level. And there are two tiers within this program. So below 80% of the area median income is considered low income. And those households are going to be eligible for the full cost of a project up to specific rebate limits that I can cover in a moment. And then between 80% and 150% of the AMI is considered moderate income. And these are households that can receive up to 50% of project costs and subject to the same appliance level limits. Um, and no household can exceed 14,000 in total rebates. So the total cap for both low and moderate income households is $14,000. And then, as I mentioned, there are specific rebate amounts within each type of appliance. So for a heat pump, you can receive up to $8,000. For a heat pump water heater, it's $1,750. For electric stoves and um, heat pump clothes dryers as well, it's $840. For panel and electric load service center upgrades, it's $4,000 uh, for insulation, air sealing, and ventilation, $1,600. And for electric wiring, it's $2,500. And sorry to rattle off a bunch of numbers, but I just wanted to make sure that folks could hear that up front. And that's also that information is available on, on our website as well. And then, as I mentioned, you can kind of stack a combination of those up to $14,000. 
So for example, if you're a low income household and you buy an $8,000 heat pump, you'll get the full cost covered because that's under that $8,000 heat pump limit. And let's say you also get a panel upgrade because you need to upgrade your panel to, to serve that heat pump. And that upgrade costs $4,000. That's still right at that limit. And then you could also purchase a heat pump water heater. Let's just say that that's $1,750. And with all those together, you're going to come out just under that $14,000 cap. So if you're a low-income household, you can kind of do those three things, at assuming the prices I mentioned, um, and you'll be below that cap. So these are really deep rebates that folks can take advantage of. And it looks similar for moderate income households, but you just get half the cost for each of those. So a moderate income household um, would get $4,000 for an $8,000 heat pump. And I guess one final thing to note is these the numbers I've laid out are what are set in the federal guidelines. Uh, as a state, when we go to apply for these programs, we have some discretion over if we change those. And we're going to make those decisions based on the feedback we hear from stakeholders. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the interview, but just want to note um, that there's potential that that top 150% AMI could be lowered um, in our state's application if we determine that that's a better fit for the needs of our state. And again, that's going to be based on our outreach and stakeholder engagement process. Got it. Thank you. So uh, pretty generous rebates. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that they're not just for homeowners, correct? Um, can renters uh, use them? What about uh, folks who are owners of rental housing? Uh, yes, the programs are available to both homeowners as well as um, owners of rental properties and through extension um, to renters themselves. So with the renter's eligibility, it will be um, the income qualification will be based on the renter um, rather than the owner of a rental property. And depending on whether the measure that's being installed requires the um, landlord to sign off on it. Um, so if it's something major that requires um, by their lease for the uh, landlord to be involved, of course they'd have to be involved. But for something um, fairly minor for an appliance that the renter would take with them, um, if it's on the eligible list, then they would be able to access the rebate directly um, or to access it through their landlord if it's something, as I said, the more of a major um, change to their home. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Um, so as you both mentioned, these rebates have targets for low income and multifamily households. Um, specifically, a certain percentage of the funding has to go to low income and multifamily households. Uh, the state also has to follow this uh, initiative called the Justice 40 Initiative, which was adopted by the federal uh, government uh, and establishes that 40% of the benefits of some federal investments have to flow to disadvantaged communities. So I think pretty much everybody understands what low-income households are, but what are disadvantaged communities? Can you talk about how the state will decide who is disadvantaged in Oregon? So the, the Justice 40 that you mentioned um, is based on an executive order that was issued by President Biden, um, and it prioritizes actions for uh, federal programs um, to make sure that 40% of the benefits of some of the investments, uh, specifically including these two programs we're talking about today, um, flow to communities that are marginalized, underserved, and overburdened um, in many categories, including fossil dependence, energy burden, environmental and climate hazards, um, and other socioeconomic vulnerabilities. Uh, so the um, US DOE and um, the federal government has been working on 
um, kind of using data sets and developed a justice, a climate and economic justice screening tool um, called CGEST, um, which is essentially a map that layers in all of the data that they considered. And they designated census tract by census tract, um, which communities um, are eligible um, and meet this requirement of a disadvantaged community. So uh, Oregon is going to be using that map to determine whether or not a household or a family meets the um, requirements to count towards our 40% of the benefits um, moving to uh, disadvantaged communities. Um, and then we also have a requirement for the HOMES program and the HERE program both that 40% of the benefits flow to low-income families. Um, and a family can be both um, a Justice 40 um, eligible and a low-income eligible um, family, but um, we have to meet both of those minimum requirements in the program. Could it be that a family is uh, disadvantaged but not low-income? Yes, absolutely. Um, and they would have um, potentially some priority within our programs. We are also able to say that we want to do more um, than 40% in um, income qualified um, work or in disadvantaged community work. Um, we're still developing our state application to USDOE for this funding um, and exploring um, how to prioritize funding in the state. <clears throat> so that's something we are considering whether we should whether we should do um, meet the minimum or exceed the minimum here in Oregon. Got it. Got it. And as I understand, uh, you've already sort of looked at the data uh, using this tool. Um, what have you found uh, in Oregon uh, in terms of which populations have the highest energy burden, uh, you know, highest pollution burden, et cetera? Wh which populations are disadvantaged, in other words, in our state? A lot of rural Oregon um, qualifies uh, as a disadvantaged community on the map, um, as well as... Um, quite a few areas along um, the coast uh, and in um, our major cities, there are census tracts designated as um, disadvantaged within uh, the, the mapping tool. So um, it's it's a large portion of, of Oregon. Um, so it gives us a lot of opportunity to, um, to reach people across the state. Got it. Um, how is the state going to target those disadvantaged communities to convince them to uh, apply for these programs? Like, is there going to be more outreach or um, more marketing of these programs in those parts of the state? Yeah. And I'm happy to jump in and speak to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so we have Absolutely, that's going to be our approach. We want to make sure that we're meeting these communities where they are and that we're delivering to meet their needs. And we've already started conversations with partners working in these communities to really understand how best we can do this outreach and how we can connect with these communities and make them aware of these opportunities and also make it easy for them to apply and actually see the benefits. So we're really fortunate in Oregon, I'm sure a lot of listeners know, to have a lot of really engaged community-based organizations who are doing a lot of this work. Um, in these communities. And so we're looking at how best we can support them kind of within the federal guidelines and work with them as partners to do some of this outreach. And we really want to build up the existing good work that they're doing um, that's being done across the state um, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel. Reinvent the wheel. Um, so that will definitely be part of our approach. And we really want to work closely with some of these community organizations to make that happen. Got it. Um, so we know that uh, uh, 
mostly low-income folks uh, and people with high energy burdens and other uh, um, ways of other disadvantaged communities are going to qualify for these. Um, and your department recently did an analysis of uh, this uh, these rebates, and uh, it showed that only about 13,000 Oregon households uh, will likely benefit from the rebates. That's less than 1% of Oregon's households. It's a tiny, tiny percentage for a program that's awaited by so many people. Uh, why will so few people benefit? Um, so it's it's really hard to kind of level set that $114 million kind of <clears throat> cycling down, dividing that out by rebate values. Um, and, and we get down to that about 13,000 families um, are going to ultimately benefit from the program. But the reason for that is that these programs have set really generous rebate amounts and they were designed specifically to support the households we've been talking about, the low income households and the disadvantaged households um, that wouldn't be able to do these types of energy upgrades without that high level of assistance. So um, it's, kind of by design that these programs are going to be limited. Um, and so that sets us up with the challenge of making sure that the, the funding that, that we um, send out and the, the families that we um, reach in our programs um, really are those that they aren't being served by other existing programs in Oregon. Uh, so we're definitely looking at where existing programs are effective, where they're reaching low-income families, um, and trying to figure out how to support and expand the reach of those programs using these funds. So where we can offer um, partial rebates because the, the families are being supported by other programs, we'll do that, and that may expand the number of households we reach. Um, but we also want to be able to offer those higher rebate values in areas where they, they don't have other um, available assistance. So it's really a balance um, as we build this program um, of, of how to reach the most families and make sure that the impact is um, actually meeting the goal of delivering those reduced energy bill costs to the family, um, as well as meeting the simultaneous um, climate goals. Thank you. Um, so it, it's pretty clear from what you're saying is that most people, most households in our state are not going to benefit from the rebates uh, because it's just 13,000 households across the entire state. So what else is there for everybody else? Uh, we mentioned at the very beginning that there are tax credits in addition to rebates. Can you talk about the tax credits, who can qualify for them, and how much can people deduct from their tax returns? Yeah, happy to speak to that a little bit. Um, and yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So the tax credits are, are a really great option for a lot of households, and they were also a really big piece of the Inflation Reduction Act, though I think they've gotten a little bit less of the publicity than the rebates. Um, but to start, I do want to clarify, so these are federal tax credits, um, and so I can speak to them a little bit, but ultimately these are administered at the federal level. And another important caveat is I'm not a tax professional, no, nor is anyone at Odo. And so folks who are interested in taking advantage of these should really speak with a qualified tax professional. Um, and that would be the advice we would give folks who would like to take advantage of the credits. But to kind of summarize um, what they are, these are credits that are available for home energy efficiency upgrades. And that includes heat pumps and necessary panel upgrades with heat pumps. Um, and they're also available for home weatherization. So things like windows, doors, insulation. And another piece of the credits is that home energy audits are covered. 
And home energy audits can be a really good starting place um, for learning about how you can improve the efficiency of your home um, and improve the air quality and the health of your home. Um, so you can get a $2,000 credit for a heat pump um, and you can get up to $1,200 for weatherization measures. And there's specific limits within that on windows, doors, um, insulation, and, and home energy audits. Um, but they're relatively generous credits, and we hope that um, folks will see them as a great opportunity and, and that they could go a long way in helping kind of extend the reach of some of these programs. And I, I want to reiterate one thing that what a tax credit is. Uh, it's uh, an amount that people can deduct from their tax returns to reduce the income tax they owe. So it's kind of like a rebate, except you can get it when you're about to pay your taxes. Um, and there's one caveat, one thing to note is that uh, you have to have tax liability in order to uh, get these uh, tax credits uh, to work for you. So if you have no tax liability, if you're really low income, um, you're not going to benefit from those. And the other thing to note is that these tax credits are non-refundable. Um, so uh, you won't get a refund um, if uh, uh, the tax value, uh, tax credit value exceeds your tax liability. So they, these credits can help reduce your taxes to zero if you pay just a few thousand dollars in taxes, um, but you're not going to get a refund from them. Just wanted to note that. Um, and uh, the great thing about these tax credits, from what I've read, is that they're available right now and they renew uh, every year for 10 years. So uh, you can use these until 2032. Uh, is that correct, Will? Uh, or Stephanie, can you talk more about uh, this sort of uh, renewable aspect of these tax credits and give, an, give us an example of how a family could use these credits uh, year after year to do all sorts of uh, efficiency upgrades in their home. Yeah, you're correct, Gosha. There's um, a really big opportunity here. Uh, so according to the Energy Star website, there's actually a, a section outlining how to maximize your tax credits. Um, and they highlight that there's a cap every year of um, $2,000 for a heat pump and then up to $1,200 for um, insulation, window or door replacements, um, a panel upgrade, kind of other costs associated with um, making your home more efficient. So um, by using that cap as your guide, you could do small projects um, kind of spread out over the, the 10 years, depending on when your family can afford to do the, um, the upgrades. Um, and keep that cap in mind as you do your projects. So like one year you could do your heat pump and the panel upgrade um, and hit that $3,200 cap. And then the following year or a couple years later, you can say, okay, well, now I need to do insulation in the attic and I need to really need to replace my front door because it's letting in a bunch of air and doesn't have a lot of insulative value. So then you could do that the following year. Um, and it would give you the opportunity to, um, you know, kind of spread out the cost that you're inc um, incurring by doing these projects, but also um, stay under the cap each year for the tax credits um, and, and try to maximize the, the benefit that you're receiving through these tax credit programs. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Um... So uh, we've talked about the rebates and the credits, uh, and I want to qu clarify a few things. So if you're a low-income family um, who's wanting to get a new heat pump or energy upgrades and you can't use the tax credits because you don't have tax liability, you should basically wait and apply for the rebates. Um, are those rebates going to be given 
out first come first served? Should people basically be ready to hit the apply button when it, summer 2024 comes around? How is that going to work? So I would say at this point, we're, we're probably not in a great position to advise on specific household situations and whether or not folks should wait. Um, so I'll just say that obviously, if you're experiencing a crisis, like a loss of heat, that's something that you should look to address immediately and consider existing programs from Energy Trust of Oregon or some of the state level programs we have. And hopefully those can um, help you make the, the upgrades you need. If it's a situation though, where you have a functioning HVAC system and you're hoping to make an upgrade, um, then it might make sense to wait for the rebate if you are a low income household. Um, but we obviously at this point can't guarantee the availability for a specific household until the program is finished being developed and, and finalized. Um, so we'd encourage folks to look into some of those other available, those other available incentives as well and kind of determine within their household budget if it makes sense to wait, if they can afford to wait, or if it makes sense to do the project now, if the incentives that are currently available are, are generous enough to cover uh, what they need. And on the second piece, kind of as far as the priority, uh, so we're still very much in the process of determining how the rebates will be prioritized. It's likely a portion of them will be first come, first serve, but we also want to really make sure that we're reaching the communities that they're intended to reach. So we're going to be really as I mentioned earlier, working with those communities to understand the, the best way to serve them and understand what it might look like from an administration perspective to get those funds out the door and into the households that need them. And we know that sometimes low-income communities often may not have the time to stay engaged on these topics. Um, and so it may take a bit more time for them to find these opportunities and apply. And we want to be really mindful of that when we're thinking about things like first come, first serve, that sometimes that can disadvantage folks that um, just might not have the, the time and energy to spend kind of monitoring these things. And so we're really, that's another huge part of our engagement process is to, is to understand the best way to get these out the door and to reach the communities and distribute them across the state in an equitable way. And uh, you mentioned other programs, other existing programs, since only 13,000 households will benefit and uh, there's a lot more low income and disadvantaged households in Oregon. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, those who don't qualify for the rebates uh, and don't have the tax liability to qualify for the tax credits, where else can they get financial help if they really do need a heat pump or electric stove or home insulation? Where else can they turn? Um, so there are uh, um, actually a lot of programs operating uh, in Oregon that could potentially help. So depending on where you live, um, typically determines what programs you're eligible for. But in the Portland metro area, um, there are um, both energy trust programs, um, their standard offerings, and a low-income program that they run. Uh, there's also the Portland Clean Energy Fund, um, which right now has two kind of preliminary programs operating that are doing um, deep energy efficiency retrofits for low-income households. Um, and they're just about to launch a new round of funding that will um, really expand the uh, number of households that they're able to serve in Oregon or uh, in the Portland metro area. And um, in Portland as well, and across the whole state, um, there are low income weatherization programs um, operated by the local um, cap agencies. Um, so that's usually um, county by county. Um, they're offered through the um, Housing and Community Services Department. Um, and there's a kind of a, a community level uh, program implementer for each area of the state. So if you go to the Oregon Housing and Community Services webpage, that can direct you to the local contact for your area if you're looking to access that program. Um, Energy Trust 
Um, like I mentioned in the Portland area, they have both their standard offerings for um, kind of the general population. They also have um, specific low income programs um, that serve their whole service area in the state. Um, and like geographically, they serve um, around half of the state. Um, and by population, they serve more than half of the state. So um, there's a good chance that you may be eligible for their programs. Um, and then outside of Energy Trust Service Territory, we have um, 37 different consumer-owned utilities, um, and they um, typically have uh, energy efficiency offerings in their territory, although it varies a little bit um, depending on which utility um, serves you for electric, um, what exactly they offer, but they typically have um, programs aimed at residential um, houses as well as some of them have programs that are designed to help reach low-income families. So there is a lot of help out there, um, and that's just outside of the Oregon Department of Energy's offerings. Uh, we also have two heat pump programs that we are currently operating. Um, they are both um, short-term programs that were authorized as part of the big cooling um, package that happened after the heat dome event. Um, uh, and so um, both of those programs are... Um, currently active, um, the residential um, uh, rental home heat pump program um, is open statewide, and, and that one your contractor would apply on your behalf at the Oregon Department of Energy. And then we also have the community heat pump deployment program, and that one is designed um, more for homeowners than for rental property. Um, and uh, that one has active programs in some areas of the state, and we are working on another round of trying to get um, regional implementers ready to run the program in other areas of the state. So there's a lot out there. If you're having trouble navigating these programs and you need help um, to kind of figure out what you might be eligible for and where you should look for information, um, we have links available on our website, and we also... Um, have our Ask Energy hotline. So you can call the Oregon Department of Energy or email us and we will be happy to um, give you kind of a, a little bit more of a customized um, uh, list um, to help you figure out what you might be eligible for and who you should reach out to. Great. And we'll try to link to that in our uh, show notes. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, one thing I also wanted to ask as a follow-up is what about for moderate income families or even upper income families? Uh, do they uh, get any uh, financial support for moderate income or even you know, financial incentive to make the switch? Yeah, and I can jump in and, and take that. I think if you're a, a moderate income family, uh, if you have that tax liability, then we'd recommend at least considering the tax credits and seeing if those work for you. That's something that's available now. Um, it's really kind of a known quantity, and so it's a great opportunity for folks to, to take advantage of that. And then I'd also recommend looking into many of the incentives that Stephanie had mentioned. Um, there's a lot of great opportunities out there for moderate and, and higher income folks to kind of take advantage of some of those rebates, whether they're offered through their utility um, or whether it's, it's the tax credits or, or similar programs. Um, so that would be the first place I would recommend to look. And then I, I think it ultimately becomes kind of a household decision. So if you look at what's available to you and you decide that those work within your current budget, then I think it might make a lot of sense to pursue those projects now and to take advantage of the incentives that are currently available. Um, if you kind of look at what's out there and, and maybe it's not quite enough and you're in the moderate income category, uh, then potentially it could make sense to wait or to do some of the projects this year, take advantage of that tax credit and then maybe hold out. Um, for, for bigger projects. However, we really um, want to emphasize that 
we think folks should really consider upgrading um, as soon as possible if it's something that they can make work within their budget, um, particularly kind of in that moderate end. And for sure, the upper income space, I think you get into an area where a lot of those folks can see real tangible benefits from from the tax credits. Got it. Got it. And energy savings, uh, savings on their utility bills once they get the projects done. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a key part of this that maybe I haven't, uh, we, neither of us have emphasize enough is in addition to the incentives, um, a lot of this equipment is going to deliver monthly bill savings to you. And, and that should be part of the calculation as well. So we talked about a lot of different options today for both the rebates and the tax credits and other uh, uh, programs, whether through, through the utilities or Energy Trust of Oregon. Uh, it, it may be a little confusing to some people since there's so many uh, different opportunities. And I wanted to let them know about uh, an important uh, resource that uh, your department is working on, uh, some uh, sort of a one-stop shop uh, where people will be able to figure out what's available to, to them. Can you talk a little bit about this one-stop shop, what it will be and uh, when it will be available? The one-stop shop that you mentioned um, we are working on developing that in coordination with our development of the Homes in Here programs. Um, and our hope is to launch um, a version of that with the two programs to help people navigate um, to um, what they're eligible for. Um, so we are uh, working actively with uh, our partners at other programs across the state um, trying to define exactly what we need to include and what functionalities we need to include um, and keeping that user experience in mind, trying to make it as um, clear and as simple as possible for them to, to access um, and to look through their options. Uh, so we anticipate that we will offer um, a, a mostly online version to start with. And then depending on um, how that goes and what the needs we identify um, kind of going forward to work on creating expansions for that to make it more user-friendly um, and more accessible uh, across the state. Thank you. Um, lastly, uh, how can people stay involved? Are there going to be listening sessions, opportunities for people to comment? Uh, how can people stay up to date on what's happening and, and when you know be informed when these rebates are actually rolled out? Um, so we did hold three public input sessions in October. Um, these are recorded and located on our website, which I think we can provide you with a link to to, to put in the show notes. Um, and if folks would like to listen to these and understand where the discussion has been this far, thus far and get a little bit more information on the details of the program, that's a great place to look. We had really good engagement there and really appreciative for the folks that spent their time to help give the type of feedback that, that we needed to start making some of these decisions. Um, if they're interested in providing input, we also have a feedback form on our website that we're using to collect further public comment and public input um, that's ultimately going to help inform program design. So I'd really encourage folks if they'd like to submit something via writing, that's a great place to do it. And we'll also be scheduling further public meetings in early 2024 uh, to provide a bit more of a detailed overview of how these programs might work um, and provide another opportunity for folks to give input. So if they missed that initial session, there will be more in 2024. And our hope with those meetings is that we can have a bit more of a specific kind of proposal to present to folks and allow people the opportunity to, to react to that and give further input on how things are starting to shape up. Um, and then I'll just add one more note uh, to be notified when 
those types of meetings are scheduled and similar meetings that we might hold for this or other programs, um, I would encourage folks to visit our website and sign up for the email list that we have located there. And that's a great opportunity to stay in touch with a lot of these opportunities that are happening across Oregon. Wonderful. And I'll include a link to that uh, on in the show notes as well. Uh, Stephanie and Will, uh, this has been a super great conversation and we're going to be following this topic closely in the future stories in the Oregonian and online at Oregon Live. And like I mentioned, I'm going to drop a few links uh, to the relevant uh, pages that you mentioned uh, in uh, the email sign up. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, please give us a five star rating and review an Apple podcast. It helps others find the show. Uh, the best way to support our journalism and stories like this is with a subscription to OregonLive.com. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Thank you. And until next time.